Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast, where every Tuesday and Thursday, it's our goal to bring you an apostolic sermon. Indiana Bible College has three major courses of study, biblical studies, worship studies, and our newest major, missiology. For more information about these, visit indianabiblecollege.org. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today. Welcome back to the Indiana Bible College podcast, where for the next few Thursdays, we're going to feature our IBC Theology Conference in a series of podcasts. To kick things off in the series, we have an interview between Brother Harrelson, our Theology Conference speaker, and our Dean of Biblical Studies, Brother Kilman. Brother Harrelson is pastor of the Pentecostals of Dothan in Dothan, Alabama, and uh, I think that you'll really enjoy this little talk that they do. They talk extensively about books and preaching, and uh, let's well, let's get right to it. Here is Brother Harrelson and Brother Kilman. It's great to have Brother uh, Phil Harrelson uh, in from Alabama, uh, pastors at the Pentecostals of Dothan, and uh, we're privileged to have him here with us at Indiana Bible College in our theology conference this year, and uh, we're going to get a little time uh, to spend getting to know him and uh, maybe let him share his heart with us a little bit. Hope you en- enjoy his. We've been enjoying his ministry for sure. His uh, first time up in the uh, docket today, he did, hit it out of the park. It was a great, great sermon, great challenge. And uh, we get to get a little bit more personable time with him, asking him some questions about ministry and, and uh, some advice to young preachers and um Brother Brzezinski does this blog and does a great job at it. He actually has a question. He talks about a time, I know you've mentioned it before, where you sat down with uh, Brother Jolly and um, talked about books and preaching. And that, Could you share that story with us? Yes, Brother Jolly, uh, whenever I was a kid, he was on the district youth committee. No, he was a, he was a presbyter. And the youth committee asked him to be a teacher at the camp. And so all of my life growing up, I knew Brother Jolly. And so when I got into the ministry, I realized the value of reading. And so Brother Lewis, our district superintendent, told me that I needed to talk to Brother Jolly. Brother Jolly at the time was the um, editor uh, for Word of Flame Press. Mm -hmm. So if you have any of the older... Uh, hardbound adult Sunday school books, his name is in there because he put the bibliography together. So I was preaching a rally in Bessemer, which was the church that he had retired from. And so I asked him to come and listen to me preach and to evaluate it and to tell me what I could do better and and that sort of thing. So he came to hear me preach. And then that night after um, after I got through preaching, then he and I went out, and I didn't know it, but he had two big boxes of books, and he gave those books to me, and I still have those books. And um, so he was the one that kind of introduced me. They're they're not as popular now as what they used to be in the past, but the old sermon books, um, very, you know, people like Clarence McCartney, uh, G.H. Morrison, J.H. Uh, Jowett, um, Robert G. Lee, um, those were primarily the mainly McCartney and Jowett, uh, Clovis Chappelle, 
yep. uh, those old sermon books. And so he really recommended that to me. Brother Jolly's famous line was he would take a book and he'd open the book up and he would point out a chapter or a line in the book and he would say, this book is worth the price of this paragraph or this this sentence. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of his famous line that he would sell books at General Conference. One book that he told me that I had to get, and he gave me his copy of it, was Alexander White, was an old Scottish preacher, and he wrote a book called Old Testament and New Testament Characters. Brother Jolly told me that the price of the book was worth the chapter on Ahithophel. And he opened that book up, and Ahithophel, he said, this is a study in bitterness. And so I read that, and it was just, it was an amazing book. Um, as time progressed on, I would go back and revisit that book. There was another one, and I think you may be able to find this sermon on the notes to it on uh, Sermon Central. I do put... Uh, sermon notes on Sermon Central, although they are doctrinally edited, so they end up mainly more inspirational than in, because Sermon Central, you have to take the doctrine out of it. So wow. be that as it may, uh, <laughs> there was a sermon that I preached called Wash Basins, and it was about Pilate. And he had a character study about Pilate in that. But Brother Jolly was uh, also, Brother Jolly was a big David Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, fan, he 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 bought everything David Martin Lloyd Jones had as a younger preacher. That was a little bit of a grind for me to read, but as I got older, uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, I really you know, I've got his Ephesians commentary, I've got his Romans commentary. Well, they're collections of sermons, really, is what they are. And uh, then his classic book, Preachers and Preaching, is a very good book. Uh, they have since republished that and have revamped it. And, it, and I have both copies. I've got the old copy and the newer copy. Wow. Uh, Clovis Chappell, really some very good things about, uh, you know, the sayings of Jesus, uh, the parables of Jesus, uh, sermons on the Psalms. Clarence McCartney also did a very good job. The deal about Clarence McCartney was that Clarence McCartney was uh, a minister about the time that liberalism started uh, really creeping in. There was a man by the name of J. Gresham Macon, mm -hmm. and he wrote a book called Liberalism and Christianity, I believe is the title of that. Well, okay. McCartney got into a big battle with Harry Emerson Fosdick, and Harry Emerson Fosdick was extremely liberal. Also with George Buttrick was also very liberal. And so McCartney was kind of pitted against those guys and I even have some, I even have some of Harry Emerson's Fosdick's, you know, sermons. Um, but Brother Jolly, as time has gone on, he's passed away now. Uh, but Brother Jolly was just a great man. Uh, he he took an interest in young preachers, took an interest in preachers at large. Mm -hmm. uh, but his his deal was was he believed preachers ought to be readers. That's right. And and I I kind of that that happened probably that was probably in nineteen ninety. Four ninety-five, something like that. So it's been quite a few years ago. Wow, you guys were up till three a.m. talking. We were, we were. I'll tell you, this is <laughs> this. Is, you could never do this now, okay? And you have to take this into context that I'm saying it. But we, I was going to take him out. Yeah. And I, I told him, I said, I want to take you out to eat. I'll buy your meal, and if you'll just talk to me. Well, I didn't know it, but the church was having a 
you know, a fellowship that they were to raise money for Sunday school. So we ended up staying at the church and eating. And so I was very disappointed. I was like, I, I didn't want this to. And so, brother, oh, no, don't worry. He said, you you just take me to your room. And uh, he said, go buy me a, a two-liter Diet Pepsi, and and uh, we'll, we'll just go to your room. And so we went to where I was, I was staying. I don't remember what motel it was, but I remember I sat over in the corner by the air conditioner. And Brother Jolly, he, he was really a, he was a short guy, and he would, the way he would read, and he, he brought those two box, boxes of books, and he set them on the bed, and he paced back and forth, pulled his shoes off, paced back and forth, and the way he would read was he would put his glasses up on his forehead, and then he would read, and then he'd pull his glasses down, and he'd look at me, and I had a legal pad, and I wrote down multiple pages uh that night and and the and the other thing too about brother jolly was this brother jolly remembered sermons that you know preachers had preached and then he would say i can tell you where they, where they got, got that, that sermon <laughs> iron shoes that's right oh yeah that's right you know, ray angel he, that's he right. you know and so so that was really uh and at the time, I'm so young, I didn't know preachers did that, you know. <laughs> but right. uh, that kind right. of borders on plagiarism. Maybe that's a sin of some preachers. But, but anyway, <laughs> uh, Brother Jolly really was very. Another book he told me about that I believe that everybody ought to have is William Gurnall, Christian in Complete Armor. Mm-hmm. Now, I had the three little paperback volumes that were abridged yeah. uh, by David Wilkerson. And they were published by Banner of Truth. But since then, Hendrickson Publishers have come out, and it's unabridged, and it's probably 1,500 pages. Wow. And you can pick that book up. William Gurnall, The Christian in Complete Armor. He goes through, he starts Ephesians 6.10, goes all the way through the rest of the chapter, and works through each pieces of those armor. Wow. So um, Gurnall, he was attached to Wilkerson. That's uh, Tozer, was Wilkerson's pastor. and uh, Gur- or, Yeah, Ravenhill was... Yes. Yeah, and then and of course Raven Hill was Tozer. Yes, Tozer but was Gurnall was a Puritan. Okay, good. And so what happened was Wilkerson found the book that William Gurnall had written, mm-hmm. which was written probably sometime in the 1600s. Wow. And William Gurnall has only written a couple of books. He he did, he was not a real prolific, you know. Or if his writings were, they probably were, yeah, you know, were lost. Yeah. But Christian in Complete Armor is probably a 1,500-page book. It's awesome. The Six Seasons of Prayer, The Six Seasons of Temptation. Mm. And he just works through all of that. It's pretty pretty amazing. But Gurnall was another author that Brother... Charlie. Well, I'm telling you all the trade secrets. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you've you've mentioned some authors. What, what are some authors you... That you have pretty much everything that they've written. Oh, this is going to really, I'm not sure I want to, because this, this, this will kind of categorize who I buy everything John MacArthur. I do not agree with John MacArthur on um, some points of his theology, sure, sure. Uh, but I do. I have everything MacArthur has written. For scriptures, it's the word he's probably just uh, yes. He's he's very he's yeah. he's very much uh, he believes in inerrancy. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some areas I wish he believed a little more than others. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, one of my Bible college instructors turned me on to MacArthur back in ninety uh, nineteen ninety. Wow. And uh, I would listen to him coming home at night, mm. coming home from the hospital where I worked. 
um, but, but he, he kind of had to grow on you. But, but MacArthur and my the books that stand out the most that MacArthur has written was some of his books that have been written 25 years ago, The Vanishing Conscience. Mm-hmm. There's a ser- or a chapter in there called Hacking Agag to Pieces. Wow. And it talks about the mortification of sin. Romans 6 Oof. is an excellent book. Wow. What a great concept. And then another one is a book called Ashamed of the Gospel. That was 93. It mm-hmm. was republished in 2013. That is another. To me, those two books uh, are very you know important wow. as far as that goes. Great. Um, so John MacArthur, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, his commentaries, um, the Preaching the Word commentaries, R. Kent Hughes is the editor of that, um, Expositor's Bible Commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are kind of some of the, you know, books that I use regularly. That's awesome. Very good. Um, good. Uh, so it, you talked a little bit about it today, about feeding God's people and having the ability to feed God's people, and you can't do that without a substantive uh, establishment in the Word of God. So mm-hmm. if you had to kind of challenge preachers a little bit, why should preachers be readers? Uh, I think preachers need to be readers. One of my things about, I, I see this, and I see I saw this in me as a younger preacher. I was a topical preacher. I would take a text but I would preach a topical message. Mm -hmm. Here's what I found out about topical preaching. If you are only a topical preacher, all you're doing is rearranging something you already learned. Mm. So so you're just rearranging information that you've already learned. Whereas if you are preaching through verse by verse, what that does is that forces you to go out and to read other resources and you're constantly in a state of learning. Mm. And that's why I believe preachers ought to be readers. Yeah, okay. And then you read one book, and I, when I was younger, uh, footnotes I found to be tedious and boring and a waste of space. As I got older, <laughs> I started realizing some of the most rich resources that a book has yeah. are, are the footnotes. That's right. Because you can track down other books, that's you right. track down right. other authors, yeah. and so you kind of widen out your, mm. you know, what, what, what you're reading. So you switch from being just reader to being uh, more of a studier. You're, yes, very much. You're into the, yeah, so some books are worth the bibli- bibliography alone. Yes. That's right. That's very great advice. Okay, good. So what, what would you say are some books that every uh, every preacher should have? What are some of those? Oh, here goes some more trade secrets. Um, if you have ever heard of a guy named Ralph Turnbull, mm-hmm. Ralph Turnbull wrote two books that were written probably in the 60s. Uh, One is called The Minister's Obstacles, Mm -hmm. and the other one is called The Minister's Opportunities. Both of those books uh, deal with the minister's obstacles, deals with his inner life. Mm -hmm. Uh, He talks about, you know, some of the old terms we don't use too much anymore, sloth. Yeah. Um, he talks about uh, pride mm. and those things and how, how much it can wither a preacher's soul. Uh, he even talks about laziness. Yeah. And then in the minister's opportunities, he talks about your schedule, the ministry of vocation, importance of study. So those are some of the older books. Preaching and Preachers by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a very good book. Um, Bruce Maywinney wrote a book called Preaching with Freshness. 
That is a book uh, that is designed. It's a story. It's written in you know fiction. It's a story about this pastor who has been for pastoring for a little while, and he feels like he has gotten to a place where his preaching is just stale, and it it's not you know it just he's he's not he's not doing it. Well, he's ready to quit. And he goes back to where he went to Bible college at and runs across one of his old professors. And and this professor starts working with him and talking about him recovering the matter of preaching. Uh-huh. And so I, you know, those, the, and it's got some steps, some reading plans and other things. That kind of widens out your scope as, as a preacher. And so that's a good book. Of course, I do love the Puritans. Yeah. Uh, the Puritan paperbacks, Thomas Brooks, um, Remedies Against Satan's Devices, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, Richard Baxter, the Reformed Pastor, uh, another little, another one of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, wrote a book called The Mischief of Sin. Mm-hmm. It's a little small book, it's probably less than 100 pages, uh, but, but he talks about sin in a way that uh, he uses word pictures, which is very, to me, profound. Yeah. Um, it, just the way they looked at scripture. That's awesome. Um, you know, so those and and then there's another another book uh, that I read in 1993 that kind of moved me toward expository verse by verse preaching, and that was John MacArthur's book called Rediscovering Expository Preaching. Mm-hmm. It's been republished now. It's called. Um, just simply preaching but if you can find a copy of the old book that was published in 92 or 93 it's got an appendix in the back of it and that appendix asks a lot of questions for people that's going through an ordination process and it is a test that they give to preachers that are to be ordained it's very very interesting to read you know, what the content of that is. And so that book was very crucial toward moving me toward the verse-by-verse expository, expository preaching. Yes, sir. Very good. Well, good. So what uh, what are you reading now? What's the books that you're uh, working through now? Um, I, I'm reading uh, Steve Lawson's book, um, the preaching that God blesses, mm. and basically he's just working through First Corinthians two one through nine. That's a very good book. Wow. Um, I'm reading some other books by Michael Kruger. Uh, Michael Kruger was a student of Bart Ehrman. Okay. And Bart Ehrman, when you walk in his classes, you know he's a professor at I think it's at University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, and he dismantles scripture. Yeah. So Michael Kruger walked into his class and literally liked to have his faith destroyed by Bart Ehrman because Bart Ehrman was talking about how many mistakes were in the Bible. So what Kruger does is Kruger goes back and revisits the canon, the process of canonization. Um, He addresses some of the things that Bart Ehrman says to try to tear Scripture down. Sure. And so I have been reading some of Michael Kruger's stuff. So it's a contemporary answer to kind of the cutting edge dismantling of Scripture. Yes, very much so. Wow, that's awesome. So yeah. I guess those are probably the two things that I'm this kind of that I'm that I that I have been reading this week. I got you. Okay, so 
We, you've talked a lot about exegetical preaching. So uh, this is a great little question Brother Brzezinski poses. He says, why should the Bible drive our preaching? I know we talked about a wonderful friend you had, mm-hmm. candid conversation. And we talk about iron sharpening sometimes, but <laughs> that's the, literally grinding the edge off something. So maybe you could uh, help a little bit talk to why the Bible should drive our preaching. I think there's a mandate that Paul talks about, 2 Timothy 4, preach the word. I don't believe that we're life coaches. (laughs) I don't believe we're motivational speakers. That's right. Um, I don't believe that we preach. I call it a therapeutic gospel, a gospel to make people feel better. Yeah. The gospel, at some point before it converts you, has to be confrontational. That's right. Before you can ever understand the gospel, it has got to be at some point confrontational. Mm. So we have to preach the Bible because the Bible is really our only answer um, to to for, for spiritual needs in life. That's right. Um, I believe it's important that we preach it in context. Yeah. Uh, because if I say if I take something out of context, then what I'm saying is is my opinion or my thoughts about this particular scripture is more important than what God actually intended for his word. That's right. That's a great And so I believe that's idolatry. That's right. I I really do. I really believe that whenever... Now, I I have to admit, as a younger preacher, I probably preached things that were out of context, but as time has gone on and there's been a development as a a preacher, yes, that that I very... It alarms me now that I look back at some of my old sermon notes and I think, Lord, how did I preach that? Yeah, you wish you could have some you know, back. It's out of ignorance. I understand. Okay, so right. I, I have to say, you know, Paul said he killed people out of ignorance. Well, I <laughs> I hope I didn't kill people out of ignorance. <laughs> I just preached a couple okay, But sermons. I just did. You Boy, know. We wish, I wish I, yeah, so, I have some back. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I say that what we need to do is we need to lay the 2020 rule on Scripture. And yeah. what I mean by that is I want to know what do the 20 preceding verses have to say? Beautiful. What do the 20 verses following? Yeah, That's what I call the 2020. That's so when beautiful. I look at Scripture from that angle, yeah. what was said prior to this verse, what is said after this verse, yeah. instead of me just pulling something out. Yeah, that's right. And... And, and going with that. That's right. So our, our hermeneutics matter, right? Very much so. And so method, methodology is like the way we understand the Word of God. And that, it's really a flippant way to study or preach Scripture because even when you're preaching, you're teaching. Very much. And you're teaching your people how to treat the Word of God. Yes. And if you show them how to fish, boy, that's much more powerful. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think, too, one of the things, if you want to look at it, look at the prayers of Paul mm-hmm. in in the book of Ephesians. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 1, his prayer is that they're going to have their eyes opened. That's right. Okay, doctrinal understanding. That's right. Then you get to that in chapter 3, exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. Well, we have always looked at that matter of, you know, just the sky's the limit, whatever I can whatever ask I the Lord. But the preceding verses <laughs> let me know that's What's right. Paul talking about? That's Rooted right. and grounded in love, which means that all this stuff that I'm saying that God's going to supply, what he wants me is to walk out a life of holiness. That's right. So if I walk out of a life of holiness, what's that going to do? It's going to affect my family life. Yeah. It's going to affect my marriage. Because if you can get the holiness of God into 
every life situation you have, it and takes it care of a lot of problems. Abundantly above all. Okay, so it's not about a chicken in a pot. <laughs> I love that. It's not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's right. Okay, that's right. and so that that's to right. me is why context is is good. Uh, you think uh, reminded me of a book, uh, the Hermeneutical Spiral by Grant Osborne. Mm. Is a good book. Yeah, um, it's a very it's a heavy read. Yeah, uh, but he talks about the variety, different kinds of hermeneutical uh, approaches to scripture, and I do believe we need to preach scripture in context. That's right. Context is the historical, very much method. Yes, sir. <laughs> very, very good. Well, uh, let's see. What? How should we wrap this up? Is there uh, anything? Oh, let's see. You've covered quite a bit. Uh, so there's a couple questions on here. Uh, is it, what are some issues that you you see kind of facing us today that are criti- critical for apostolics as a, a movement, or particularly as an organization here at IBC? We've got, you know, UPC, ALJC. We've got uh, some WPF kids. We got uh, some strong independent kids. Uh, we've even got uh, some Presbyterians and. <laughs> some Baptist folk. So we've got a wide range here at IBC. But what are what are some issues that are facing maybe the movement or the UPC particularly that you think would be? I, I believe at large we have to go back to Genesis 3, and we have to start with what the serpent said mm-hmm. to Eve, hath God said. Yeah. To me, that is the biggest issue we are facing. Mm-hmm. Because what the devil did was he interjected doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really say this? Yeah, that's right. So whenever we move to 21st century and we're looking at all of the, the, the matters with transgender, yeah. you're looking at issues with marriage, yeah. you're looking at issues with family. Mm-hmm. One of the deals that I find uh, because of, you know, medicine medicine background that I have is when we start looking at when we're manipulating the genes and we're getting into cloning and you're starting to deal with issues of life at the end of the day the biggest issue that is facing us is we're going back to Genesis 3 and the devil is working just as hard Mm. now that's what he was in Genesis 3 because what he's trying to do is interject doubt in our mind. Did Jesus really say yeah. that you must be born again? Yeah. Did he really say that you had to be born of water and spirit? Yeah. What his apostles practiced in the book of Acts. Yeah. Do we still have to do those things? Mm-hmm. And and what the devil likes to do, and even you know in, in Ephesians 2, you... You know, you've heard that before. You know, our three biggest enemies is the the world, the flesh, the devil. And you say, well, where do you get that from? It's it's in the first four verses of Ephesians 2. You know, he talks about the prince, the power of the air. Mm-hmm. He talks about the world and its impact. And then he talks about our flesh. He says, in your former conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're, you're battling with that. So what happens is, is it comes along and tries to really cause a fogginess about our thinking mm. and whenever to and so to me the biggest issues that we are facing is there is this part where that you're trying to cloud the clarity of scripture yeah, yeah. and if we do not believe that the scriptures are inerrant yeah. we are sunk that's right so the first and I use this some uh, when I'm doing our license and seminar talking to new ministers the first textual criticism you find in in, in the world is Genesis 3. Okay? 
The That's devil right. starts saying, hath God said. Yeah. Well, when you start pulling at that thread, yeah, where say? does it stop? That's right. And so that to, to me, though, we, we have got to get to a place where that we put absolute confidence in Scripture mm-hmm. because I believe what Paul said. Paul told Timothy, um, you know, th- this is 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's it's right. God-breathed. That's right. So what's the purpose of it? Doctrine, reproof, instruction, instruction, and all of righteousness. Yeah. And I forgot the other four four things. I forgot the anyways. Um, but but again, why why do we have the inspiration? Why are the inspiration of scriptures yeah. so that this man can be thoroughly furnished? Yeah, and that he can be able to function in this world. That's so right. if I don't believe that scripture is inerrant. Or that it is authoritative, then I'm all the way back to where Eve was, That's right. and I'm questioning. Well, God, he I don't know if he's clear about this, you know, one man, one woman. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's clear about, uh, you know, the way of salvation. Yeah. And so what we have to do is to look at Scripture and say, this is the final word, and and we live in a very gray world that resists mm-hmm. black and white answers. That's right. I was listening to a podcast. The two guys were talking about the issue of inerrancy versus infallibility. And they were talking about how if you believe in infallibility, you could say someone was limited to the social issues of their day. And mm-hmm. the fascinating thing is, is they use 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to show that Paul was trapped in kind of his own social rhetorical limitations because no one really takes that seriously today except apostolics right right and and then they and then the the very liberal guy on the podcast said to his uh more left-leaning evangelical friend so when you get to romans and you read paul's discussion about homosexuality of course you have to realize that there are errors because he was limited to his own uh, mm-hmm. Social construct and realities, just like you know, you know, young Earth creationism, and he lists all these other things, and mm-hmm. he says they were trapped in this terrible thinking. Mm-hmm. But we still see the scriptures as a infallible or a faithful witness to Jesus. But of course, there are these errors that we really shouldn't try to hold them to today. And it's like you said, when you start pulling that thread, mm-hmm. uh, where do you stop? Right. Because then, as progressives are saying now, if they're limited in scientific knowledge, why wouldn't they be limited in moral knowledge? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, because when you lose inerrancy, mm-hmm. boy, you the errors just right. multiply. Right. Well, I think Brother uh, Brother Harrelson has been very gracious, and uh, thank you for spending a little time here and uh, giving a little bit more of yourself away. We appreciate everything you do for the movement and. Uh, your service both locally there in Alabama as well as on at the national level. And uh, thank you for being here at IBC. Well, you're welcome. Certainly, certainly good to be here with you. The new Indiana Bible College album, At the Cross, will be available April 11th, 2018. Indiana Bible College has three major courses of study. Biblical Studies, Worship Studies, and our newest major, Missiology. For more information about these, visit indianabiblecollege.org. Indiana Bible College, training tomorrow's apostolic leaders today.